invite you to pray with me. Our God of grace. We have two characters in this story who are at the end of their rope, at the end of their, their own reserves of energy and plans. Jairus and a nameless woman, and Jairus' daughter. And they were all prepared, you had prepared them to be ready for you to, to take over now that they were at the end of their resources. I don't know how that resonates with each of us this morning. Maybe we are so full of resources and plans that we don't even stop to consider how much we need. Maybe we find it very hard to even let you into a tiny crack of our plans. And others of us come and you're all we got. As some people sit here this morning, time and time again, or maybe one substantial time recently, life has told us that that our, our own plans, our own resources, just can't, in the end, satisfy or get us where we really, truly need to be. And so we come to you. We come from all different places. On the faith spectrum, on the belief spectrum, on the pain spectrum. Some of us come excited or happy or thankful. Others of us come bored or numb or in sorrow, or in sadness, or angry. And yet, we're all more of a mess than we care to admit. And the story of your grace in the Bible over and over tells us, we say it every week, we're more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. Bring that kind of grace to us now through the words of this amazing story that we might see your grace, whether it's the thousandth time that we need to remember to live in your grace for the first time when you open it up for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. The question of the week last week was, what interaction throws you off track? What interaction? Interruption. Sorry, yeah, thanks. All right, I can read. What interruption throws you off track? Someone said uh, phone notifications, a text, you know, a beep. Someone said all of them. Someone said anything that ha appears to be better than what I'm doing. <laughs> and then someone said, I'm a mother of three. Constant interruption is my track. <laughs> that was good. I like that. Some of you resonate with that. This story is incredible. This scripture story, I'm so excited to talk about it this morning. I'm a little bit nervous that you won't get as excited as I am about this passage. I thought, you know, this question might bring us into the text. It actually is kind of a superficial version of what you might take from this text. It's easy to look at this story as an interruption story. You know, Jairus is really antsy and eager to see his daughter get healed, but Jesus stops for a much less critical condition. It's like Jesus is a bad 
ER triage, triage nurse or whatever, whatever that is, you know, deciding who needs the best care. And, and Jesus stops, and in the meantime, the daughter dies. So there's a lesson somewhere in there, and you may have even heard messages from this text, and they're not bad around the idea that this is telling us something about um, interruptions and patience, and um, Jesus maybe knows better in the end. Um, but I, I'm here to say there's, there's I mean, that is the, the tiniest first layer of what's going on in the story. And since, this, since I'm excited and I want it to feel like everybody else is excited, I'm encouraging you today, um, that's the strongest command language I get, I'm encouraging you to grab your Bible or one nearby or one on your phone, turn your notifications off maybe, and look, watch along with this because there's some amazing things that will jump off the page or the screen if you have a Bible nearby. Anybody need an extra? There's two up here. Don't be shy. Anybody? Hmm? Hopefully you can read. The text is small and thin. So this story, one of the things that's amazing about it, right off the bat, is that, here, let me just read a quote. If you've been reading Luke, and this is part of the excitement of um, going through this series and a lesson in the morning and then talking about it now, you would have seen in this um, same chapter that Luke seems to be transitioning from a little bit of teaching that Jesus is doing, and he's transitioning to moving along, um, and as he moves along and he goes about on, he's kind of journeying, he's going with power. So there's like power stories going on here. Power. First, there's a storm, and he calms the storm. So there's the first like, Boom, that's the kind of power we're talking about in Jesus. And then there's a demon-possessed man who everyone knows has just been um, kind of just this wild person that no one can control that has like spirits in him or something. And Jesus drives out the spirits. Boom, power. Boom. And then we get to our story that we're looking at today with the woman and the daughter. And this is where Jesus takes power into um, sort of the realm of religious un and ceremonial uncleanliness. And so here's, here's how N.T. Wright, a biblical scholar, this is how he puts it. Purity taboos were vital simply to maintain public health. The Jewish scriptures and subsequent traditions had codified and elaborated them into almost an art form purity taboos. And two of the most obvious sources of pollution were corpses and women with internal bleeding. And Jesus goes into both with power and, and has contact with both of these purity taboo situations. So this is another story in line with power, but it's got a different slant. Here's another layer. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, there's not a single other story other than this one where two healing stories are interwoven to make one story. It's always just Jesus and one person or groups of people, and it's kind of like a, like a one-point sermon every time, like a one takeaway. This one is the only one where we've got Jesus 
on his way to do one interaction and then is halted and involved in another and then continues on to the initial one. So it's very unique. And for that reason, this is actually going to be a double-length sermon. (laughs) Just thought of that joke, by the way. Didn't plan that one. Um, No. So first, we're going to look at three pretty amazing gifts that this story gives us. The first is that Jesus is restoring a woman medically and socially. Have you ever wanted to hide out amidst a crowd? Have you ever wanted to be invisible? Have you ever not wanted the attention turned from a, you know, like a large group of people on you? I remember embarrassing things like in high school that happened to me where all of a sudden the whole crowd is looking at you and then maybe even laughing because you, know, you fell off a chair or something in the cafeteria. Not that I'm getting personal. This woman has had, this woman in the story with the medical condition of bleeding, she has, for the last 12 years of her life, become increasingly, desperately uncomfortable being noticed. And noticed especially, not even just with, like, even with one person, but especially in a crowd. And this has been painful for her socially, emotionally. Her condition had had her grown to expect scorn and derision everywhere she went, especially in public. And that is when she wasn't being treated as someone who's invisible, an invisible nobody. Because that probably was also people, how people treated her. It's best just not to look at her. It's best just to look away. Or there are others who were, had outright scorn and bad words. Stay away from us. No contact. And so her best hope with Jesus, she thought, was that maybe she could approach secretly and then slink away. Maybe she could have a secret healing. I mean, then at least amidst her ongoing life of repugnancy, of being a nobody, a recipient of scorn, at least perhaps she could go about that without the physical ailment, without the just constant pain, the constant weariness, and all the physical things she was dealing with. She hoped for a secret, private, unnoticed healing. And Jesus would have none of it. Jesus loved her too much to give her a private, unnoticed healing. He would medically and societally heal her. He would physically and socially heal her. And so her worst nightmare comes that he calls her out. You can almost feel as the text describes. I'll just read it again because this is so good. I'll just read the part. Not the whole thing, don't worry. Just read the part here. So immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. And then Jesus said, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. And Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. And then it says, Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. You sense Jesus almost, you know, just like looking. I know it's you. With love, with just, just looking. I know it's you. You're not getting out of this. And so she came forward, but she had definitely an expected result. 
the result of scorn? What, what is she imagining as she comes forward and bows at Jesus' feet, falls at his feet? She expects scorn and derision from the crowd. How could you? Ah, oh, get away. Make way. Everyone back. Oh. And then rad- radical public condemnation, but also Jesus' wrath is what she expects for sure from him. And she probably felt like she deserved it. That's probably the complex that this woman had at this point after 12 years. You know, I probably deserve to get a lashing right now publicly. What I did really was dishonest and wrong. I should have at least shouted from a distance. I probably deserve this. And but rather than a curse from Jesus, she gets a blessing. Rather than getting like everyone expected and like everyone had done to her her whole life, rather than getting diminished, she gets elevated and dignified. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Do you know that we're supposed to, I think in this story, our minds are supposed to connect her at this moment when it says, she knew she could not go unnoticed, she came trembling and fell at his feet. And right there, our minds... I think, in terms of the literature of this, our minds are supposed to flash back to a few verses earlier when it said that Jairus, this dignified, noble synagogue leader, it says, came and fell at Jesus' feet. With this wording, we are connecting and we are seeing, we're suspecting, now she's sounding like this dignified person. Now she's somehow connected. And then you see Jesus lift her up And publicly, with his words, he makes her acceptable and clean, not privately. Jesus will have none of that, that she goes away privately, but everyone else still, the stigma still lasts, and everyone gets to treat her and keep her in her place. Jesus elevates her publicly so that not only is she well, but now she's healed from suffering the ongoing social stigma the rest of her life. Everyone now knows her faith has healed her. She can go in peace. Among us all. So, first of all, Jesus is restoring a woman medically and socially. But second, Jesus is teaching Jairus a lesson. And let's call it a lesson about leadership. It's deeper than that, but let's just call it about leadership. Jesus is not going to be content with Jairus just becoming, let's say, a believer because he was helped by Jesus and his daughter was healed. Jesus is not content with Jairus becoming maybe one of the followers, the close followers of Jesus. Jesus is not content with just those things. Jesus will not be satisfied until there's a shocking lesson of leadership and power that Jairus receives. And so let's consider the fact that in verse 46, we read that Jesus says that power has gone out from me. Power has gone out for me. And here again, this passage is filled with connection, so let's, let's find another connection here. What, what else is going on with power in the story? Well, at the very beginning, we read that Jairus is a synagogue leader. Jairus is someone who knows about power being asked to come from him and his position. That's verse 41. Leaders dispense power. Jesus dispenses power. 
Jairus dispenses power in his synagogue leadership. So put that connection in a holding pattern. And then let's consider this. There's a bleeding woman who has snuck up and touched Jesus. The background on that, as you, we already hinted with the quote at the beginning, the background on that is there is strict religious codes and taboos about her condition and touching. We know that if you're in a restaurant, let's say you're at a restaurant, and you're excited and you're hungry and the food arrives, and then uh, one of the waiters or servers comes up and, and leans down and says, how's the food? And then coughs right into the, onto the plate without covering her mouth or his mouth. We all universally have this visceral reaction to that. We've been taught since we were children, what do you do when you cough? Cover your mouth. And that was the old version. The new one is cough in a corner. We have it from the beginning. We know this. And we also know that if you're sitting there and that happens to your food, you could probably, this is, if you voice anything about this to a manager, this person can get fired. There's consequences here. There's that kind of, that, that's even less than the visceral reaction and feeling about this woman making contact with someone, touching the corner of Jesus' clothes in her condition. And so Jesus, everyone knows, everyone expects that he would be completely justified to become at this point in the story entirely, let's use the word, uncorked. You familiar with that phrase? Just livid, furious, self-righteous anger because in her selfishness for a cure, she went ahead and risked his pollution. She has brought him down into her reproachable state to the extent that he's not acceptable in a synagogue, in community, until he now goes through ritual, ritualistic purity, purity uh, blah, 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 ceremonial cleanliness rituals. So this is pretty huge what she's done to Jesus. Guess who that's not lost on? This synagogue leader. So, Jairus begins to realize what's happening. Jairus, if in this story, is at first maybe he is annoyed that there's a delay, but he is, his antenna are up now when he sees and connects the dots here. As anxious as he is for his daughter, Jesus has his attention here. This woman has his attention. And then especially when Jesus reacts with, with lovingly pronouncing a blessing on this woman, this has Jesus' attention. Jairus, the synagogue ruler, very familiar with the power and dispensing the power of community removal, re- exclusion, and inclusion, blessing or curse. Jairus is very familiar with this power. And Jairus, we need to stop and realize that his leadership position required that he enforce and even make decisions 
about women in exactly this condition throughout his life. And now this is where we have to consider the very real possibility. And I'm not going to say for sure, because Luke doesn't say for sure. But we have to consider the very real possibility that there's a very personal layer to this. Had, perhaps, had Jairus presided over the decision and the enforcement of the decision 12 years earlier, when this woman was dismissed from his community that he was in charge of. As Jairus, the presiding leader of the synagogue, 12 years ago, the year she's been suffering for 12 years, his daughter's 12 years old, the year of his only daughter's birth, the joyous year of his only daughter's birth, was he perhaps the synagogue leader for this bleeding woman and her family? And if so, we should picture, we should imagine his reaction as he sees Jesus and Jesus' example of gracious reinstatement. As Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you, go in peace. As Jesus blesses and reinstates, did you catch in the story that it says, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came and told him, your, your daughter is dead. Daughter be reinstated. Your daughter is dead. Daughter. Daughter. What might Jairus be thinking as he connects the dots? Is Jesus now going to turn to him and say, yes, yes, your daughter is dead. And this is in exchange Twelve years ago, you robbed from this woman community and connection and humanity, and this now is paid for by your 12-year-old. Twelve years for 12 years. And maybe if Jairus was making this connection, maybe he actually, similar to how the woman who approached Jesus secretly felt like she maybe had something coming. Maybe Jairus in this moment is imagining he deserves this. Maybe he's realizing this. Maybe he's connecting the dots and feeling like he actually probably deserves this this daughter for daughter, 12 for 12 years. And instead, Jesus says three simple words. Do not be afraid. As Jairus' greatest fears seem to be before him and seem to have come to the floor. What are Jesus' words for him? Instead of condemnation, instead of an exchange, tight-gripped wrath, don't be afraid. Jesus exists not just in this story to restore a woman medically and socially. Jesus exists not just to go as he will now in the story and go heal a 12-year-old girl and bring her back to life. He exists also even for dignified Jairus in order to expel and calm the worst fears of this son of God. And so we come really to the third and final gift that this passage gives us. And that is really essentially that this story brings us into a realm where we are all treated and viewed as God's beloved sons and daughters. All of us. 
you are invited in this story along with Jairus and along with that woman who had a condition and along with the daughter who was raised to life. All of us are invited this morning into this unbelievable realm of being treated like, viewed like God's daughters and sons. When Jesus says in verse 48, daughter, and he calls this woman that we don't know, does Jesus even know her? Why is he calling her daughter? When he says daughter to her, Jairus is watching Jesus speak with tender, fatherly love. The same tender and fatherly love that is on Jairus' mind for his daughter who's dying. When Jesus comes into your life, he comes to remind you that you are a daughter, a son. God, the Father's daughter and son. Jairus perhaps wondered about whether an exchange was happening. Life for life, 12 for 12, daughter for daughter. But Luke, as he tells the story, he knows where this whole thing is going with Jesus. He knows that there will be an exchange. There will be an exchange. Jesus, the beloved son, will be given up to death. So that everything that's everything that's belongs to Jesus, when he goes and exchanges places with us, he's, he's taking everything that belongs to our condition, our brokenness, and takes that on the cross so that we can get everything that belongs to him in his perfect condition as God's son. That's the great exchange, as some theologians call it. Luke knows that there will be an exchange and that there's no exchange needed here between daughter and daughter, 12 and 12, because the great exchange will come to all of us. And that's what Jesus is coming with. He's coming into this story looking at everyone. No one here in this story, no one here today in this room is to be met with condemnation. No one here is to be met with a sense that maybe God's judging me, maybe God's still angry with me, maybe God's making my life go this way because of something that... I still haven't seen or haven't known or that God's holding out on me. Jesus comes into everyone in this story, even Jairus, and treats them like a child of God. Everything that's true of Jesus becomes true of you. He dies the death you should have died so that you can live and belong in the way that he belongs. And so a key element in a Christian's journey have you, has this sunk into the center of your life? Has it become a key element in your life to wake up in the morning and to remind yourself or be reminded that you are God's beloved child because of Jesus? That it's yours now every day for the rest of your life? That you, if imagine you're in this story, which one do you resonate with? Maybe you relate to one of the people or maybe you're just some a nameless person in the crowd watching it happen. But either way, Jesus' presence, if he makes eyeball-to-eyeball eyeball contact with you, is, hi there, I love you. Child, daughter, son. Hey, come on. That's Jesus. Looking at every single one of you every day. Interruption. interruption. Yeah, thanks for the interruption. Interruption. 
It's my signal to land the plane. That's, so there's a key element there. You're a child, you're a daughter and son of God. But then, for each of us also then, the massive shift that sometimes you can only be in a place like Jairus is in to get this secondary lesson, this second movement of the Christian journey, to actually look upon others with the same eyes that God looks on them, that Jesus looks on them. I mean, imagine this. The lesson of Jairus is to take the lens you use to look at the person you love most in your life, the deepest, most automatic, most tender, automatic, did I say that word? Love that you have for someone. Are you thinking of someone? And then to take that love and to look with those eyes at someone that you overlook or that you see in this world, and that doesn't maybe trigger that automatic, and maybe there's a little bit of like easy to ignore, or maybe even I want to avoid someone in this community, someone in your neighborhood, someone at your job, at your school, and on and on and on. That's the second movement of this. That's what the lesson Jairus gets as he, that word daughter, is piercing his soul, and he's thinking about his daughter, but he's seeing this other leader Treat that person as a daughter. Whoa. See, this story is amazing. I want the sermon to keep going, but I'm at the end. So just let me pray, and then we'll move on with our service. Our great God, I got so excited. I could see the excitement this morning as the Bible study group, as we looked at Luke chapter 4. I could catch Victoria's contagious excitement and love of Scripture and love of you. And I come this morning bounding with reminders of how much I love your word. I love your Scripture and how much I have to learn and absorb still of how much you love me and how much you want me to love others. Whatever has been heard this morning, would you take it now through your Holy Spirit and make it real, make it solid, make it lasting in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.